gotta tell somebody. This is the best thing I've ever seen. That. Let's talk about that. Let's you talk need about this. that. Listen to this. Memorable and exciting. Well, then be less boring. I'm gonna tell everyone. Wait here. Quite a remarkable big daddy. Remarkable. Remarkable. Right? Welcome to Remarkable, a podcast for B2B marketers that deconstructs the most iconic moments in film, television, pop culture, and advertising for a single purpose, to give you, the B2B marketer, the same storytelling techniques that the pros use. In each episode, you will learn techniques from Hollywood, Pixar, Marvel, and beyond, from Spielberg's hands to yours, bringing remarkable content ideas to you every single week. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. This is Remarkable. This week, we're going to be talking about B2B marketing lessons from the Hacker Chronicles, the hit podcast, the help of special guest, CMO, Chief of Staff, Attenable. Jerome Robert, Jerome, how are you? I'm good. Thank you, Ian. Thank you for having me. Thank you for that collaboration on the Hacker Chronicles. It's been amazing. Yeah, it's so so funny. We've known each other for what feels like a lifetime now. I've seen you, you know, not quite every week, but off and on for so many weeks now. And it's cool to be doing this podcast with you and talking about the project that we've worked on for for a long time together and your brainchild. So excited to to get into all that. So before we get into that, tell us a little bit about your role at Tenable and, and how you got there. How I got there is I was a CMO at a startup that's called Alcid. It's a French startup and in the cybersecurity space. I've been doing cybersecurity all my life, for my whole professional life. And I come from a tech background. I, I switched to marketing, I don't know, 10 years ago, something like this. And I worked for that company, Alced, in Paris, and we launched our operations here in the U.S. So I, I came here and launched our sales, marketing, and, and service operations for the company in 2020 until eventually we got acquired in 2021 by Tenable, where I currently work and where I have joined as the CMO's chief of staff. That's my story. And so when did the idea for the Hacker Chronicles first come into your mind? It's, uh, it's been a process, actually. So we've always tried to create content that was unusual. I have a very strong belief that you need to do stuff that are sometimes completely counterintuitive, that could be perceived as risky, even though I would argue they're not or not as much as we think they are. But I'm, I'm a big proponent of doing stuff differently to different people in different forms than what they're used to, to see, right? In, in Particularly in the cybersecurity industry, I think cybersecurity is a cool industry. It deserves to be cool and to have that, that image. And it is not. Like marketing is, is fairly boring. In, in cybersecurity, all companies are communicating the same way, are pushing the same buttons and pulling the same levers. And so we've always tried to create content that were radically different. And so we did children books, for example. And at some point we thought, okay, um, we've been very successful with our children book, actually. And so we thought we, we'd like to bring that to the next level. We'd like to write a book. 
but we won't write a book about cybersecurity. We need to write something that is an entertainment that people will want to read because it's fun to read. And by the way, that will bring them something in terms of cybersecurity. And so we started to work on, on a novella. We, I think we wrote the entire scenario. We started to write the actual book itself and we completed it actually. And then we met a company that you might know that's called Caspian Studios. And, and so we discussed, you guys were doing podcasts. And so we thought like, okay, we don't have those competencies, but they do have competencies to do something that sounds like live action, so to speak. And so we started working with you, transforming the novella into something with your expertise, with something that was doable in audio format. And yeah, that's how it happened. Trying to be different and then meeting the right people, I guess. If you're listening to this, something very serious has happened to me. Um, maybe I'm dead. Maybe I'm in jail. Maybe I'm in a jungle somewhere. I don't know. But, um, all I know is this. I just, I just wanted to do something for myself. And, and I realized that I totally screwed you in the process. This might be the only chance I have to tell you my side of the story. So I'm just going to tell that. Okay. I'm going to tell you a story. The story of how I went from working in a coffee shop to being the most wanted hacker in America. And we're going to dig deep into all the all the little nooks and crannies of that story. But first, Meredith, what is the Hacker Chronicles for our listeners who don't know? So Hacker Chronicles is a podcast about this woman named Alice who's working as a barista and she's really struggling to like pay rent and make ends meet. And so that's when a friend suggests she buys a ransomware as a service kit. Uh, I know one thing you could try. Okay. I'm listening. It's a little shady, but you know computers, right? Yeah. Oh, earmuffs. I'm not listening to this. Well, have you ever heard of the dark web? So she starts using it, exploring the dark web as a way to make some extra cash. And it's the story of her just kind of like getting in over her head and getting deep into this community of hackers and making connections. And she ends up becoming America's most wanted hacker. And so it's about the cost of it all. And now it's in its second season called Digital Nomad. It stars Chloe Taylor as Alice Mitnick. And what has been huge is Michael C. Hall, who is from the TV show Dexter, and he plays John Doe. Hello. What's up, John? I just spoke with my insider, Carl. He's ready for you at the port. Can you meet him in one hour? Yeah. I got my bag ready. Laptop, charger, fake papers. I'll be there. You don't sound enthusiastic. You sound like... Like someone who was forced to come to Europe four months ago to sneak onto a 400-meter container ship, hack its navigational software, and misalign the rudder 15.3 degrees? You didn't let me finish my sentence. I was going to say you sound nervous. <laughs> it's a tenable podcast. And while listening to this, it was interesting because I personally have been a barista in the past. I'm actually from Burlington, Vermont, which is, I think, where her best friend is from. And it was funny, all these like little connections that I had with it. And so to me, it was like huge. But it's also just big for us at Caspian with having Michael C. Hall act in it. And it's really, it's really engaging. It's really like there are layers of sound. It's like listening to a movie. So it's super fun to listen to. And, and it's been really, really cool to get into. Yeah, I remember in the early days when when we first met Jerome, so I have like a pitch doc at Caspian of like stories that we want to tell. And one of the ones was like, 
cyber crime thriller. And I had like a little sort of like pitch. And I remember we met because we talked to someone at Tenable. He's like, oh, you should talk to Jerome. They're working on something really cool. And we met. And I remember coming to that meeting so exciting, just like, I want to tell like a cybercrime thriller. Like, I think that there's this just like no one has done this right. Like no one has really ever told this the right way. Anytime a hacker gets caught, it's because they weren't careful. Ugh, famous last words. And the closest thing that there was, I think, that that everybody looks to is the show with Rami Malek, which was super popular. And it was kind of like right around then. And Mr. Robot was like very, very, very popular, sort of like in the zeitgeist. And I always felt like watching Mr. Robot, I thought, which I like loved season one of that show. And it always struck me as so much more of a psychological thriller that sort of like has elements of hacking in it rather than like a true story about like actually how hacking works. And I just remember coming to that call so excited. And then you share this like, hey, this is this story that we've been working on called The Hacker Chronicles featuring Alice where this, this, and this happens. And I won't spoil it all, but this, this, and this happens and this is how it ends. And this is how, you know, like the end of the season ends. And this is like this, this bad guy called John Doe who we don't know their name. Hello, Alice. I hear you're in trouble. Who is this? A friend. What? You don't sound like a friend. Don't believe everything you see in the news. The FBI is not on you yet. But if it was this easy for me to find you, don't find you soon. Ableton. I don't know what you're talking about. I can help you. Because that's what friends do. Think about it. You have three hours to decide. I'll be in touch. And and I was just like, hell yeah. Like no one has ever, ever in like the business world told a story that's anything like this. And then talking to you about realism and how important that was to you and having your cybersecurity background, having a technical consultant, quote unquote, on set in, in the script to look at all that. And I was just like, it felt so fresh and new. And it was something that, you know, in like Caspian's roadmap was something I wanted to do was like tell thrillers, like you tell, you know, business stories that are thrilling, that are murder mysteries, that are things that have a beginning, a middle, and an end, like a true story arc with like real characters. And it just was such a light bulb moment for me personally when I met you to think that like every marketer has that story inside them that they're like burning to tell. And you were able to, I think, like communicate that really effectively and also communicate that effectively to like leadership, which was so cool. And I will get into that here in a second. But I just, you know, it was, it was something that you felt like needed to be told. And like, that's where every great story comes from. Like, you just feel that need that this needs to exist. Like, no matter what happens, this story needs to exist. And like, I just always loved and appreciated that enthusiasm from you. Yeah, well, thank you. But yeah, I definitely felt the same. There are shows with cybersecurity that I like. But none of them that I've found totally satisfying, notably in terms of realism. And also the fact that the, the type of personas we have in those shows are very uh, cliche, right? They're either dark guys in, in their cave and very, with a very complicated social life, or they're for some reason, also kung fu masters that can that can 
kick 10 people's ass at the same time. It's, it's always, or very James Bondy, right? And we wanted to tell the story of someone like who's normal, right? Alice is, is not a bad person. She's conflicted morally, right? We could question her ethics at some, at, at, at some level, but she's not a bad person. She's not, she's not an angel either. She's not a genius. She's not the best hacker in the world. The reason why she becomes the most wanted hacker in America is almost uh, by chance, so to speak, or, or, or lack thereof. But it's, yeah, it's not a genius. She's not dumb. She's just normal. Am I a hero? A villain? Maybe I'm just Alice. I think she's very relatable. She's you and I with some technical background, so she doesn't start from nothing, of course. That would be unrealistic as well. And I wanted to tell that story, the story of someone who's normal and who's going to have a normal journey through the bad side of cybersecurity. And because that person is normal, then, then she doesn't want that. She's not really happy about what she's doing, but she needs it. So also not do a story that is only cybersecurity, but a story that would show how conflicted she is and how those emotions and evolve internally. I, I found that super interesting. And, and yeah, we aligned very quickly, I think, in what we wanted to achieve with the show. It was for, first and foremost, cybersecurity background. It needed to be hyper-realist. There's something I was not afraid is not the right word, but definitely something I didn't want at all is something that would be inconsistent, right? Like when you see a movie and there's a hacker or supposedly it's a hacker and and they are typing on their keyboard at a speed that is like supra-luminic and, and you see their screen and it looks like Matrix or, or, or the other way around, it's, it's a dumb script that they are running that has nothing to do with cybersecurity. I can tell you when a cybersecurity person watch, watches this movie, is we're like, Man, this is awful. I can't, I can't stand it. That's exactly what I didn't want. First, I want to make something clear. This number is more for if you're having like a login issue. I'm not here to teach you how to hack. <laughs> Listen, you're paying 500 bucks a month. You didn't think you'd get a full-blown customer success representative, did you? But everything she does really has been thought through and is realistic. And even the stuff that are not said, because you can't say everything, right? So she's doing a hack and there are some steps in the hack that we're going to explain to the audience. So there are some steps that we are going to skip in the narrative. I mean, it's not because we skip them in the narrative that, that we didn't think about all those steps that were required just to make sure that the whole sequence of a hack was actually entirely plausible, right? So yeah, that was super important to us. And I'm very proud that we've reached that. I think as a team, a cross-functional team and, and cross-company team, we, we cultivated an attention to those details that is very important for us, right? In terms of credibility for the brand and also personally for our, just, uh, our feelings. So yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad we reached that. We were an eye on that. Yeah, I think that like one of the things that when after season one was like all the way out there, 330,000 listeners for season one, Tons and tons of feedback from the cybersecurity community. I remember one of the best emails that Skylar got was from someone who screenshotted a, a golf tournament invite. When those lawyers weren't messing with me at the coffee shop, they were always talking about their favorite game, golf. So I got to work. So basically someone, someone got essentially like had someone reach out to them with like the exact hack that we use in the show 
And they're like, oh my gosh, this happened to me in real life. And stuff like that. I'm like, no finer compliment could be paid when you make something of when someone sees it in real life and has that happen. You know, so I think it was a huge success from that way. It's an incredibly entertaining story. But I think back to the collaboration piece, like when we were in the writer's room, like it wasn't always super peachy, hunky-dory, like, hey, hey, we have things that we want to accomplish with these characters. You have things that you want to accomplish with these characters. And like that sort of like going through the crucible and like creating a story from scratch like is hard. And like being true to those convictions and saying like, this character has to experience the world in a certain way in order for it to feel real, right? Like they need to have real stakes. They need to have real relationships. They need to have, you know, real pressures that that anyone would have, that a barista would have. Look, can you please just go back there and get me a damn latte? <clears throat> well, we have other milk alternatives. Alternatives? Do I look like I settle for second best? Judging by the fact that you look like an extra on the cast of New Girl, I think you know that there are no acceptable alternatives. And I think that that to me is what made this feel so relatable that if you're trying to make a regular person that, you know, falls down the rabbit hole and goes into this new world, they have to have the pressures that a barista who works in New York City would have. They need to have the annoying roommate because they can't afford their own place. They need to have the crippling student debt because they, you know, went to, to music school to be a pianist and it hasn't been working out. They need to have like aspirations and dreams, the annoying brother. Listen, you need to start using that computer science minor for something. Because apparently making coffee and playing piano isn't getting you anywhere. I know, Ryan, I know. Like all those things that make it feel real. And the other piece of that is business content. The reason why so few people do it is because it's really hard because there isn't that much stuff that happens when you're hacking, right? You're sitting in a computer working silently. So you have to create those moments, those, those little things. And I think that the world feels really lived in because of the work that specifically in the writer's room that like you and Skylar and, and, and Rex and I in those early days, like working through that stuff to say, what is her actual real world life experience? And then how would she come into this world of hacking? How would she learn? What would be the ways that she would learn? What are the technologies that she would use? Like, how would she pick them up? How would she communicate? How would she purchase these, you know, on the dark web? And like, if you listen to this story, it is truly like a primer on hacking. So how do you get started in the ransomware business? In my case, it wasn't much different from being like a freshman in college. It began with an orientation. Instead of an acceptance letter, I downloaded a tour browser to gain access to the dark web's beautiful gates and manicured lawns. I'm kidding. The dark web looks like what would happen if Tom from MySpace and Craig from Craigslist thought they hadn't made the internet ugly enough already. But I guess that's the price you pay for anonymity. Which begs the next question. How scary is it to tell a story that is a primer on hacking when you're a cybersecurity company? Like, did you receive <laughs> any pushback from that? Like, why was it important to tell that part of it? I think we were lucky enough at that point in time to be, to be at Tenimo. There were two things probably that, that converged. The first one is we just got acquired. Tenable was looking for that fresh perspective we had, right? There are many things. We were a startup. 
they were a big company. There were many things we did that were wrong, <laughs> but we had a different perspective, right? And and so they were listening to what we could bring to the table, even though that could be stuff that they were not used to or they wouldn't have done themselves. Uh, so that's one. And and then there was that appetite at Tenable. Tenable is a is a as cybersecurity goes, it's um, um, a fairly old company, right? We are veterans. We uh, we were here 20 years ago. We were one of the, I'd say, founders somehow of cybersecurity as an industry. And there's a lot of good things that come with that heritage, but there's also the tendency maybe not to try new stuff from a marketing perspective, right? And and there was like the people at the company when when we joined they had, I think, that innate desire to challenge that. My end game was a long shot, and I knew that. But I couldn't let this opportunity go to waste. I didn't know if I would ever have another one. And to say, okay, we got to try new stuff. We got we to gotta revive the way we do marketing. And so, no, we didn't get pushback. Like some people kind of question, like, what's going to be the outcome of this? Like, what's going to be the ROI? But that's a very natural question to ask in a business, in a business construct, right? So we just answered, you know what? <laughs> it's uh, it's going to be great. Uh, ROI, yeah, hard to quantify right now. Well, we don't know if that's going to be good. We don't know if we're going to be good. We don't know if we'll be able to promote. We don't know if the audience is going to like it. We think yes at all of these questions, but quantify the result. There's no business metrics for that in our space, at least, for that kind of brand entertainment. But we were like, hey, you know, we need, to, we need to change. We need to do something different. Everybody believed and still believes that uh, ads and opportunities for pushing in your face kind of ads to people is, is shrinking dramatically, right? Like people don't like interruptions. They don't like ads. And so we were already thinking like, you have to provide something that is enjoyable. That you have to provide something that actually rewards your audience or your viewers or whoever you are targeting. When we used to do ads in back in the day, I don't do that anymore, but the ads had always a second meaning, right? Like you could you could read it and it was a very like first degree, it was telling something. It was saying something about cybersecurity. Like we do that better than the rest of the world, whatever. But there was also a second meaning. And if you had the reference, it, it was subtle, is what I mean. And if you had the reference, or if you invested enough brain power into the ad to understand the second meaning, it was rewarding. Like when you read the ad, you thought like, mm, "I'm smart because I found the second meaning." It was not mm-hmm. obvious immediately. That kind of reward. Is, is what we wanted also. Like you need for people to watch your advertisement, they need to reward the people. I just had to hope luck would continue to be on my side. It was finally time to begin my escape. Because if it worked, I could kill Able 10 forever. And Entertainment is exactly that, right? It's, it's rewarding in the sense that it's fun. You love to watch, to see, to read it. There's something for you in there, not only for the brand. And so we thought that was very important. We pitched that internally and we didn't get any resistance after that. 
Yeah, one of the pieces of advice that I have for marketers that want to get these type of initiatives is the question that so often you get is, is there an audience for this? And you need to develop comps to prove out whether or not there's an audience for this. And so like one of the ones that I remember early on thinking about is Darknet Diaries is one of the most popular tech podcasts and it is stories like really well done case study type stories of real cybersecurity hacks. And that plus Mr. Robot being insanely popular, like one of the most popular stories at, it was a little bit before we made the show. But if you take those two things, that a fictional story of a, of a hacker and real life stories of hacks, and you put those two together, there's absolutely an audience for this. Like, absolutely. And again, you have to have conviction that the story that you want to tell needs to reach people and that the the themes and the messages of that story are really valuable for people to know and understand. Before I was able 10, cyber criminal. I was a barista on the verge of self-destruction, saddled with student debt, self-esteem in the toilet. To make a long sob story short, I saw no way out. Then I discovered hacking. And you know, I go back to that, the copy that y'all wrote, where it's like, you know, the story is fictional, but the threats are real, right? Like these are real threats. There is so much stuff pulled directly from actual hacks that have happened that is put into this story. And the layers of the story are like truly immense. Like, and again, like, like, I think a lot of credit for that goes to, to you and the team at Tenable for thinking of all of these really in-depth, hyper-realistic scenarios and situations that the casual listener does not understand, I promise. <laughs> but to the to the community that is in cybersecurity, they get it all. We got a DM one time that was like, like, oh my gosh, they talk about using a Tor browser. This this show gets it. I think it, it was it was hard actually. It was like I we have I have the technical background to you know, with some research, create the scenarios of hacks that are realistic. It's not that complicated for me. In general, some of them were more complicated than others, but in general, it's not complicated. What's complicated is to avoid the temptation of the, the cheap trick, right? Oh, we need her to do this. Why would she do it? Or why her adversary would do this? And you're very much tempted at some point to say, well, because he's evil. Easy enough. Uh, he's a bad guy, so he's going to do something bad for, of course. Like, no, no, hell no. You don't, we don't want that. If you want that to be realistic, you want your villains to be realistic. And it's, it's, I, I do believe it's fairly rare to find people that are willing to do evil stuff just for the pleasure of doing evil stuff. So you have to find a compelling reason. And, and that was hard. Right, writing the story was hard sometimes to, you know, to invest the extra time and extra effort um, to find good reason, realistic reason. Sometimes we had to change the story uh, very significantly because we didn't think of something and, and we had someone do something and not for the good reason or not for realistic reasons. So that was, yeah, that was complicated, but very important, I think, to have a show that at the end feels real. I think that that, you know, personally, as you know, we we do this at, at Caspian and think about this stuff all the time. And I think the thing that is missing 
from most business storytelling, if not all, is like the actual Hollywood style storytelling, for lack of a better term, where everything is very buttoned up. You have thought of all of the different things that have happened. You know the layout of the scenario. You know the layout of characters. Rex is brilliant at this in creating these scenarios and figuring out and taking that character down a certain path and say, okay, what are all the decisions that would lead them down this path? Oh, that actually decision number three doesn't make sense, so they wouldn't get to the end of the path. And that part is like really missing. And we tell stories extremely simply in the business world. It's usually like pain, you know, buy software, pain solved, right? Like that's generally the arc. And what we miss is, oh, the annoying, you know, brother, or we miss the annoying roommate, or we miss the career aspirations to do something. We miss the human side of this. Alice, can you hear me? Who's that? It's my roommate. One second. What's up, Katie? Um, this is awkward. So I'm just gonna have to get it out. I still haven't gotten your Venmo with the rent. And like every character in this story does things for very human reasons, like very elemental reasons, whether it's like hubris or revenge or, you know, a sense of trying to find belonging or try to find a sense of purpose. And like, that is what makes the story good. And like one of the feedback that we get all the time on the story is that like, hey, y'all nailed it. Like this is, is really cool. And like, this is actually like really good. And people, what I heard a ton of when we launched season one was, I don't normally listen to podcasts like this, but I binged it with my girlfriend or I listened to the entire thing on, on the car. And like, those are the things that like, I obviously feel great because, you know, we work so hard on it and you feel justified. But those are all the things that like we, we tried so hard to get those outcomes at the very beginning of this. How do we make it bingeable? What is the episode size and length? What is the pacing of each episode? How much dialogue is she going to do, like exposition dumps at the beginning and end of each episode to make sure that it makes sense for the listener of what is going on? How do we explain all these extremely technical things so that someone who's a casual listener can appreciate it while remaining extremely technical so that the very technical people can get a lot of joy out of listening? So how does this work anyway? Do I just search ransomware as a service on the Tor browser? Kinda. Just... Poke around some sites and you'll find things. Depending on your budget, you'll have lots of choices. Some of these ransomware packages cost $10,000 a month. They have customer support, phone centers that handle ransomware payments, and they'll even make it easy to launder the Bitcoin your ransom will be paid in. (sighs) Okay. All right, so what if my budget was only $500 a month? You'll still be able to find something. And it will have the same set of tools, a phishing kit, an exploit kit, and a ransomware kit. But remember, the more expensive the package is, the more reliable it is. And like all of that stuff, I wouldn't say it's like hard work to do because we're making podcasts, so it's like not hard. But it's definitely laborious in the way that you have to craft that stuff. And like, that's why the show is great. Like it is great because we went the extra mile all the time for the show. Like truly, I, like I've worked on a lot of projects in my life. This project, we went the extra mile always. Like we always did. And that's why there's nothing like it. That's why no company has ever 
made a show like this ever. Like we, and this is what we kept saying. I mean, it's not like hyperbole. There is no tech company who has ever made a show exactly like this type of a show, like a cybercrime thriller that is in this type of storytelling starring A-list actors, like doing all this stuff. And like, I just felt like, you know, when we met Michael C. Hall for season two and we're working with him, and like one of the things that he said was like, I love the script. I love the character. Like this, like I love the the interplay between, you know, Dimitri and Alice. I'm here. I'm here. Took you long enough. Yeah, I just broke my freaking glasses. Yeah, and I spilled coffee on my favorite t-shirt yesterday. It has a picture of a bear, but the bear has deer antlers. So underneath the drawing, it says beer. <sighs> no? Yeah, I guess you're more of a wine person. I'm not in the mood. So tell me something that matters. He's like, this feels so good to me. And I mean, he's like one of the best TV actors like ever, you know? And like, he loved the script. And so obviously it's great to feel that as, you know, someone who's part of it. But like, we put in the work to get there and and that's why it's good. Like that's, you know, it's the, it's the, it's the simple truth is like, you have to put in the work. Yeah, you have to have an attention to detail. You have to be your harshest critics, right? And we wear that all the time. Like we were discussing arcs of the scenario with, with, with Rex and, and Scatter typically. And we were like, oh, this is great. It sounds like exactly what should happen. And, and then you, you switch shoes and you think, okay, what would I say? If I, even in, in bad faith, what would I say to criticize the show? What, is there anything here that feels like a cheap trick again, or or unrealistic, or yeah, realistic kind of, but you know, it's it's a little too much anyway, or whatever. You have to be self-criticizing what you're doing all the time. It's not easy. I think from a brain gymnastics, I think it's it's not something I was used to, and yeah, it, it involved a lot of effort. But yeah, and, but it's a very rewarding kind of brain activity i think you're very happy when you end up with something that you think cannot be attacked you know what yeah. i mean like cannot be challenged like it feels just perfect <laughs> nobody can criticize i mean yeah they could, they could say they don't like it but they can't say it's wrong it's it, it feels good you're like you have the uh, eureka moment when you think like yeah we got it it's it's, it's very cool Actually, I had two questions. One was, and you, you've kind of already mentioned this, but you were talking before we started recording about how companies really overestimate the risk with unusual content. And so I'm wondering, like, you know, you mentioned that it's hard to measure ROI with sort of top of funnel content like this. But like, when you say companies overestimate content, like, is it leadership and is it like important to get them on board? Or like, can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, I think so. Obviously, it doesn't apply for, for Tenable, right? Because we, uh, we were able to do the Hacker Chronicles. But in other companies or in past experiences I've had, yeah, for campaigns that don't have a direct ROI, uh, obvious ROI, like uh, I'm going to get, hundred leads out of this, or I don't know how many I'm going to have, but in the past, I have like a ton of reference points that allow me to say roughly I'm going to get like a 5% return on investment. I don't know. Outside of those occurrences, marketing leaders, I think, have 
difficulties to convey why something is important to their leadership, right? I mean, if you don't have the ROI, the leadership is all is, is immediately going to think, okay, what's my risk? Like, what's my cost and what's my risk? If I don't have an ROI in front of that to counterbalance that risk and cost, then almost by constriction, the risk, the perceived risk is going to completely outweigh anything you could say from a accountant substance perspective, right? So it's very unusual that company accept that kind of investment. And also, when you do something that is fundamentally different than the rest of the industry, you are going to stand out, which is, as marketers, what we're looking for. But as a company that is, that is managing their risk, doing something that makes the company stand out is creates mixed feelings, right? Like they think, okay, well, that could be great from an image perspective, but, you know, if, if the outcomes are not what we hope for, it's a huge risk, it could backfire, and you don't have any ROI to put in front of it. So, you know, just, no, I'm not going to do it. Too much risk in being different somehow. I mean, that's something we can experience every day, I think, everywhere. And I think that's totally overstated. I think... Notably in an industry where marketing practices are very mature and very identical from one company to another, there's very, very little downside in standing out, in doing something that is entirely different. If you do something that is different from a substance perspective, but that is respectful from all other perspectives, I mean, the worst case scenario is it's going to flop a little. It's not going to be as good as you thought, and you're not going to get a lot of feedback or a lot of of engagement out of it. But I don't think anyone would laugh at you or or actually discard you as a company because you did something different. I think people respect that, I think. Um, Originality, the boldness of, of, of doing stuff that are entirely different, I think people respect that. So yeah, I, I do consider those risks are over overstated in general. So let's talk season two. So Jerome, obviously we went way bigger with season two, going to get Michael C. Hall, getting someone who is, you know, everybody knows, everybody's seen Dexter. And the story also evolved in a way that is, I think, incredibly cool. Something that like, just from an audio standpoint and like a globetrotting standpoint and going to all these different cities is just really, really cool and fun to listen to. And getting at this mystery uh, which we placed in season one, which is who is John Doe? Like, who is this person who, who finds her and what are they? How do you find a man who's taken every precaution to erase his digital existence? It's simple. You do a Google deep dive on his wife, Lindsay. Lindsay is a public relations executive for a large firm in Copenhagen. She's also a philanthropic soul. And in the second hour of your deep dive, you discover a photo of Lindsay receiving an award eight years ago from a Danish charity. And who's by her side? Her loving, supportive husband, Dimitri. Or as you call him, John Doe. Clearly, you think about this story as, uh, and I don't want to get like, you know, too spoilery into it, but but there's, there's ways that you have thought about this story that I think are really unique as it comes to seasons and what the Hacker Chronicles is and Alice's role in the Hacker Chronicles and other people's role in the Hacker Chronicles. So yeah, I'm curious, like, 
why is season two bigger? And then why, why do you have this sort of like long-term approach to this series? Hmm. Some of the answers here, I think, are very mundane. Like, like season one was a big success. Like, I think bigger than we anticipated, to be honest. And we actually had an ROI, believe it or not. Like we, we were able to put leads in front of the Hacker Chronicles, which we didn't anticipate. So we just got more bold, I guess. We could leverage a bigger budget. We were able to spend more time on it. So if you look at the length of the episodes, like that was 10 minutes more or less in season one. It's 20, 25, sometimes 30 minutes in, in season two. We just did everything bigger. We did more. I think also we were able to add more substance, you know, to have something that was more, I, w- I don't want to say action-packed, like it's not, it's not an action movie, but there are more stuff happening, right? There are more acts, more places, more people. Between jail and a job for the man who caught me, I chose life behind a computer. But now, now, I owned that man's data. I had everything, his name, address, bank accounts, his family, his habits, his vices, his passwords, everything. And in this day and age, when you own someone's data, you own them. I think we were also more bold in the scenario in the sense that, like I said, everything is hyper-realist. However, there are a couple of hacks that happens that happen in season two that haven't happened in real life. They are entirely possible, and I'm absolutely convinced they're going to happen, but but they haven't happened in real life yet. So that pr- that's probably something we wouldn't have done in, in season one. It's also more research from our uh, perspective, right, to uh, make sure that we do something that is realistic, even though it hasn't happened before. Alice, call me as soon as you can. I've been compromised. Alice, call me as soon as you can. I've been compromised. Alice, call me as soon as you can. I've been compromised. Alice, call me as soon as you can. I've been compromised. Oh my God. How does he know already? So, so yeah, season two is definitely more ambitious. There's also something, and hey, you, you'll cut that if you want, because uh, I don't want to spoil, but there's something I'm going to say about the end is, that as, as, a, as, a, as an audience, myself, as a, as a guy who watches uh, uh, TV and, and see TV shows and, and listens to podcasts, I hate, like, I hate shows that are never ending. I hate shows where it's cliffhanger after cliffhanger, and and every end of season you have more questions than answers, and and you feel like the only perspective is when the show is gonna stop being a cash machine that they're gonna stop it, and I'm never gonna get a, an end to it, right? A, a proper end, and so it's not the end of the Acre Chronicles, right? But season one and season two are. Uh, a story, right? You could you could stop there, and you've you 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 would have a beginning, a middle, an end. Arcs are complete. People are complete, and and yes, we'll start we'll start the Hacker Chronicles again, and we'll meet our personas again, etc. But it's a totally new cycle. That was super important for us in season two. Yeah, I just always appreciated the way that you thought about the story and the arc, and and I think that 
it feels very cool to work in a project where there is such thought put into the entire the entirety of the series and to still create something that keeps going because as marketers like when we hit you know when we when we find gold we want to keep you know mining the gold for as much as we can get but also stay true to what would be real for these characters and how they would actually behave and so i just always thought that was that was cool final question just here on roi and you said like getting leads out of this just any thoughts on roi or like how y'all did that or how you how you could sort of how you tied this back to to your customers to revenue to all that so first of all, what happens is that we sent to our database, our business database, of course, links to the episodes and watch season one. It's awesome and all of that. And we've had surprisingly good results and feedbacks. You know, you are definitely fighting for people agreeing to open your emails in the first place, you know, when you send marketing emails. And, and so the Hacker Chronicles proved to be very effective there. And I guess that's because it's different. Like when you receive that, you see the subject, it doesn't feel like, oh, I'm going to get a sales pitch or I'm going to get a content that doesn't sound like a sales pitch, but it's a sales pitch. And the Acre Chronicles is not that. Uh, it's created by Tenable and sponsored by Tenable. And there's Tenable. There's a lot of Tenable DNA in there, but, but it's, we're not promoting our product in there, right? And, and I think that's why it was way successful from that perspective. Also, we used it as I'd say an icebreaker. So think about like we do webinars all the time as a company, right? I mean, I mean promotional webinar when we arrive and we, we talk about a problem, we show our product and how they solutionize some of those problems and, and that's it. And that's the win. It's way more engaging to say something like, hey, look, look at what happened in episode four. Listen to episode four. It's very entertaining. Oglethorpe and Hudson. They were a mid-sized law firm, not a big fish. They specialized in representing large corporations during class action lawsuits. Of course he worked there. They made money off people getting hurt. They protected companies who think they're above the law. All they cared about was making money. This was my chance to dump an oat milk latte all over their servers. Now we're going to dive into all the things we haven't said in episode four, all the, the deeper mechanics of the hack and how we as a company could respond to it. So we kind of separate the entertainment, which remains an entertainment, which is not a product promotional initiative, but we link it to a separate campaign that is about, okay, here's what our products could do in the context of episode four of the show. And that is... That proved to be very effective too. Trom, it's been awesome having you on the show. Thanks so much for joining. Any final thoughts? Well, can't wait for season three. <laughs> me too. Appreciate it. Thanks again. And we'll talk soon. Thanks to you guys. Thanks for having me. And so, until we meet again, or shall I say, Well, that's it for today. I hope you got some good ideas for your B2B content. Thank you for listening to Remarkable. I'm Ian Faison, CEO of Caspian Studios. Remarkable is created by the team at Caspian Studios, B2B podcast as a service. 
Caspian also creates fiction series for B2B companies. So if you want a business thriller, you can learn more at caspianstudios.com. Hollywood style storytelling for B2B. And in today's episode, you heard from myself, Ian Faison, and Meredith O'Neill, senior producer here at Caspian Studios. Remarkable was produced this week by Meredith O'Neill, mixed by Scott Goodrich, and our theme song is Solomon by Falak. Be remarkable and rise above the noise.